Today's message is about joy. And it's important to know before uh, I really start to talk is that a sermon on joy is not for not just for people who are feeling a little down and out and need a pick-me-up. Okay, if that's that's not just who it's for, but if that's you, that's it's also for you. But it's also for the joyful who want to sustain their joy. And uh, I know for myself, I'm someone who is generally okay most of the time. I'm rarely completely down in the dumps, nor am I usually bouncing off the walls happy. Like, I'm not that kind of person. I'm kind of a just somewhere in the middle kind of person. And in a lot of ways, it depends on the day, right? It depends what's happening in life and it, uh, you know, what is getting thrown at me in any particular moment will affect, well, am I a little more up or a little more down, although it's not going to necessarily take me to one extreme or the other. But I, I've been learning uh, that my level of joy is actually far less about the circumstances of an individual day and much more about my own mindset or approach to those circumstances. That it's actually my mind that is the mediator and the interpreter of those circumstances and experiences and that I have choices about how I respond or don't respond to what is going on in my life. Now, I already know this, but I say I'm learning it because like anything else, we need to keep learning that kind of thing in order to know it and consistently put it into practice. So I think we need to keep learning this, even if we think we already know. Um, I was uh, looking this week, and uh, apparently you can find out on the internet who the happiest man alive is. And um, his name is Mathieu Richard Ricard. Um, he's French, um, which surprised me. Um, but, uh, and he is a Buddhist monk. Um, and uh, apparently they've actually, he's also been involved in uh, brain research, so they've actually done like scans of his brain and like scientifically are somehow showing that he has a greater capacity for happiness than anyone else that's ever been measured. So like they're scientifically trying to show that this guy is that, I don't know if that's really true, but apparently that's who it is, he's the happiest man alive. Um, this Buddhist monk, and you can go and you can find him on the internet, and he's got a TED talk, if you're familiar with TED, um, and, uh, and he explains why he's so happy and the kind of the different uh, meditations that he does and the rituals that he does that sustain and, um, and make him happy. Um, now, what's interesting is I'm also, uh, right now, uh, maybe that's just on my mind, I'm reading a book called Hardwiring Happiness by Rick Hansen. And uh, it actually talks about brain science and uh, how you can do certain things in your life that will actually change how your brain is connected and will uh, change things. So things like simple meditation. So there might be something to this Buddhist monk actually being the happiest man in the world because uh, maybe he's actually managed to alter something in his brain, which until about 20 years ago we didn't think was possible. Um, but now new research is showing you can sort of change how your brain has connections, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, now, I think actually when you look at sort of Eastern religions, say Buddhism or Hinduism and that kind of thing, which actually do a fair amount of practicing of meditation, we, I think we can learn something from those. Um, 
you find that somehow this idea of meditation, it actually seems to work in some way. When you start talking to people who are generally happy and have seem to have some control over their happiness, they tend to have at least some sort of way of producing that for themselves. So it's not that they've got all the circumstances of their life just seem to be going well for them. That's not what is producing joy for them. It tends to be some sort of practice or ritual or something that they are doing, whether it's some sort of self-affirmation. And you'll find that quite a bit in Eastern religions where people meditate and that somehow makes them happy. Meditation works. Meditation ends up leading to inner peace and to joy. Now we tend to not think of Christianity as an Eastern religion, yet it kind of is. Mary, in our readings today, meditates. And Westerners don't always love meditation, or we might, we've got our religion, and then we might sort of go to yoga as well, and those are not connected. <laughs> But in, in Luke, chapter 1, verse 29, after the angel visits Mary and gives the greeting, here's what we read. And she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. In other words, she sat and thought about it. That's really, in a lot of ways, what meditation is. You'll, you'll find the same kind of language in the Christmas story itself. You'll hear this reading on Christmas Eve, and it's after the shepherds have shown up at, uh, at Jesus' birth, and they, the shepherds share with Mary and Joseph everything they've seen and heard about the angels and the announcement of this birth of the Messiah. They show up, and, uh, and it says everyone was perplexed at what they were saying, but in Luke 2, verse 19, it says, but Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. She meditated on them. She reflected on what she was hearing and what she was experiencing. I actually think we need to claim this. The early Christians did a lot of meditation. But we need to learn what to meditate on. Because just meditating or just pondering sometimes equals dwelling. And so what we can do sometimes is, instead of uh, pondering something and that being a positive effect for us, it ends up being about dwelling on something in the past that has a hold on us. Or it can be worrying, generally worrying about something in the future. And what... Eastern religions actually, I think, teach us well, if we were going to look at those and try to learn something, is, is try to take our pondering, our meditation, into the present moment. It's not that we should never reflect on the past and never think about the future, but that when we're trying to focus on, uh, on God and on, on doing some kind of meditation on God, the present is where we need to be focused. But lots of us, when we do our thinking, we're not doing that. Even throughout our day, we will automatically think about things without really much effort. And a lot of that thinking will be, oh, I can't believe that happened. Or our thinking will be, 
what I need to get done tomorrow, worrying about the future or dwelling in the past. And what meditation asks us to do is to try to figure out what is it that we need to be meditating on in the present. And the Eastern religions do a great job of, of reminding us of that, and Christians don't do a great job of reminding us of the need for the present moment. And you'll find that lots of the Christian language is really about the past and the future, isn't it? Right? Communion will remember Jesus. We remember it's a historic tradition, and it's also a looking ahead to what will come. But there's all kinds of things in Scripture about what is happening right in the present. And somehow we've neglected that. We need to reclaim that. Um, a good place to, to start sometimes can be, and we find this in sort of the self-help movement, uh, sort of self-help affirmations. And uh, it's funny, I googled that and the first thing that came up was, uh, was Stuart Smalley. Does anyone remember Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live? I, and, and it was this sketch and he was kind of poking fun at the, the self-help movement. Um, and uh, he would have a daily affirmation of, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And that's how he started the Stuart Smalley show, and then he'd smile and look at the camera. Um, and so I thought it was funny that that came up. Um, but that's kind of, that's kind of a, a decent starting place, actually, to, to remind yourself of who you are. Um, and that, yeah, I'm good. But our culture, our society, tends to, to leave things there. Only at self-affirmation. And while that's a good starting place, we can go a lot farther, a lot deeper. And, and this is where we have to ask, what is it that we are meditating on? Because the scriptures teach us that, that it isn't just about a, an inward looking into the self and a self-affirmation. That actually, where our true source of identity comes from, is from God himself. That God breaks in time after time. And what God's activity is now, that's where we need to focus our meditation. Mary does this really well. Her meditation is a response to God's activity. So we have the other reading, which was the Magnificat, or which is the, the Latin for the first part of Mary's song that she sings. And she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And after she says that, that's the opening phrase, it's after she talk, sings that, she then goes on to, that's the focus on herself and on God, but then she goes on to widen the scope to everything that God has done. And what I find really interesting are the verb tenses in the Magnificat. Mary magnifies and rejoices in God. That's present tense. That's what Mary is doing right now. All generations will call her blessed. That's future. And then after that opening, everything else is told in the past tense. Where Mary recounts, and she recounts how God has lifted up the lowly and filled the hungry with good things and, and all the rest of the, the, her song. 
But what's interesting about that is that she tells it in the past tense, but God actually hasn't done any of it yet. Still hasn't come fully, has it? Yet she tells it as though it's already happened. Mary, she was a few months pregnant at that point when she sang that song. She's pregnant with the Savior of the world, and she sings of the past and the present and the future. So notice where her joy comes from. It isn't just the little things. It isn't just her, her self-affirmation, which she does actually have in the Magnificat. It's not just in sort of noticing uh, the trees or the birds, which you know, sometimes will be encouraged to notice nature, and that can be a very good thing. It isn't in those things or just those things. She also finds joy in the hope that is being, in her case, quite literally carried within her. She finds joy in the hope for the future, so much so that she talks about it as though it's already accomplished in the past. And so what she does is her meditation in this way leads her to claim being joyful in the present moment. So you see how she puts together past, present, and future, the way we ought to as Christians. Not just about the present moment, but yes, let's have hope for the future. And yes, let's celebrate the past. And remember it. But let's only do that if we can be focused in the present moment and receive God's joy in that moment. And that's what Mary does so well. And her meditation, her song, is in response to what God has done. Ours needs to be as well. There's something far deeper about her meditation, something far deeper than, than sort of a, a feeling of happiness or a feeling of inner peace just for the next hour or so of her life. There's something far deeper going on. And actually Mary gives us what we ought to meditate on. Our meditation could be the same as hers. She says it in her song. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. She's talking about herself, right? For he's looked with favor on me, on the lowliness of his servant. If we're interested in self-affirmations, you know, those are generated from within. But notice where Mary's meditation and the affirmation for herself is derived from. It's derived from God looking upon her in favor. It's derived from God looking upon her with favor. The initial greeting by the angel Gabriel who visited Mary to uh, announce that she would be pregnant. Gabriel says to Mary, greetings. Favored one. The Lord is with you. And then we get in the text, in verse 29, it says, But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. So she's already starting to kind of meditate on that. And the angel sees what she's doing, this thinking. And the angel says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So repeated, the first thing the angel says, greetings, favored one, and then don't be afraid, you found favor with God. 
Eugene Peterson uh, translates this, this uh, greeting in such a beautiful way. Uh, in the message version of the Bible, it says this, Gabriel greeted her, good morning, you're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out, God be with you. That's what we ought to meditate. This is a, this is a way better meditation, right, than a self-affirmation that we can do, right? Than I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. Like I mean, that's got no power. But an angel showing up to you and saying, "You're beautiful with God's beauty." There's power. Uh, Mary's language in the Magnificat makes a lot more sense. Um, if you can imagine God as a king and everyone else as his subjects. So she says, he's looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. You, you need to put that in a, in a context. The, the king looking with favor on a subject it would be everything. In a kingdom where the king is really the king. I mean, if the if the queen of England looked on us with favor, I mean, then we oh, okay, well that's nice. You know, that doesn't mean much to us, but that means a lot in a kingdom where the king is is really the one. And, and that's what the first readers would hear. You know, these people were living in a time where there was uh, Rome, and the Roman emperor was basically the king. If the Roman Emperor looked with favor upon you, whoa, and that's unbelievable. We, we've got to try to find a context for this. Because what's really great about this analogy for God being the king and, uh, and us being his subjects is that the king's favor did not have to depend on performance. It could, but it didn't have to. And we are so used to, when we gain favor in our world and in our lives, we are so used to that being based on performance. We are so used to having to earn favor. And yes, you can do that with a king, but a king can also just bestow favor on whoever he wants. For us, it's almost always conditional, and with God, it is always unconditional. It's just granted. Can you think for a moment? Think of uh, someone that, uh, think of a famous person, think of a famous person that you actually have respect for and that you really like. Okay? Think of a famous person that you have respect for and you really like that others might know. Can someone share who their famous person is? Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence, okay. Can I get another one in case people don't know who Jennifer Lawrence is? Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter? Okay, so you can, you, you might know who one of those is, okay? So, uh, so I'll, use, uh, I'll use Jimmy Carter as an example, okay? So imagine, or whoever it is in your mind, imagine Jimmy Carter then 
shows up at your house, Terry, one morning, and he says, good morning. You're beautiful inside and out. <laughs> Can we spend the day together? I mean, that, like, whoever you have in your mind, that's what it means for the king to come and give his favor. Notice the end of the phrase with the angel is God is with you. Right? That's the come spend a day together. Or a lifetime together in God's case. I mean, that's what we have every single morning. That's what we have. Talk about sustaining our joy. I get, you know, we probably get old with Jimmy Carter if every single morning he was showing up. But with God, it doesn't get old. It shouldn't get old with God. Every single morning, God's showing up. Saying, you're beautiful inside and out. Let's spend the day together. I'm with you. The Pittsburgh Penguins do something for their fans, other, other teams might know this, um, that, that gives another illustration of this kind of thing. Of, because this is, this is an illustration of God's grace in the end. God's favor or God's grace, it's, just, it's a gift that's given by God for you to receive with joy. And the Pittsburgh Penguins do something with their fans, and it would be great if the Jets started doing this. I know this because I have a friend who has season tickets to the Penguins. She lives in Pittsburgh. And she got a phone call before the season was going to start, and uh, they said, a player is going to come and deliver your season tickets to you, hand deliver. And so what they do is they randomly select uh, season ticket holders and then assign them to certain players. I don't know how many the players have to go to. And uh, they arrange a time, they say, you, you know, we want to come in the next two days between these hours, and can you be home? Uh, yeah, I'll drop everything, and uh, I'll be there. And this particular woman, she's actually a, a Presbyterian minister, um, and, uh, and she, she got a uh, Yeti Malkin, showed up at her, at her door, and uh, said, you know, here are your season tickets, and I, that's pretty cool. I mean, that is showing... It, they're doing it just to say, we're so glad that you're a fan. Right? They're going to be season ticket holders no matter what. Like, they don't need to do that. But, you know, it's kind of a cool thing. Show up at the door. And this is, I think, what Mary's experience is with the angel. I mean, there's a whole other story, right, that we've got, the Christmas story that's coming. But just this, this simple fact that the angel shows up and says, God is with you, you're beautiful inside and out. And, and I think this is what God wants to do with each of us. This ought to be our meditation. This ought to be what we reflect on and ponder in our hearts. Not the worry about the future. Not the being stuck in the past. This ought to be one of those things that you repeat to yourself, that you take in to yourself and hold it. That's what it means to, to ponder it the way Mary pondered it. Sit with it. Sit with it for, and it doesn't take a long time. Sit with it for 30 seconds. 
And watch the difference that will make to your day. You are beautiful with God's beauty. Beautiful inside and out. God is with you. This is beautiful joy.